0: You're listening to Accounted For, the Canadian podcast that explores the intangibles of every career. I'm your host, Daniel Lee. Hey everyone, welcome back to Accounted For. These next two weeks will be... quarterly retreat for me where I will take time off and go travel somewhere to reflect and re-strategize for the coming quarter. And because of that, I will be providing you with two episodes that are blasts from the past. So if you're new listeners, you're in luck, you don't have to go back to the archives. Um, But if you're also um, a continuous listener, You might actually appreciate re-listening to a certain story maybe it'll inspire you give you a different perspective that you missed the first time around or you might have just completely forgotten this person's story so that might also be a, a nice reason to listen in as well so without further ado here is one conversation that is a blast from the past our guest will be ian wang ian is a good old friend of mine that i knew since university and He's currently the operations and logistics manager at Uber Eats and he will be the marketing lead for the Vancouver operation. And this was a very fascinating conversation. I knew Ian for multiple years but I had no idea about um, the kind of journey he went through with his first startup after he had left KPMG. and. It was really fascinating to hear about how he ended up meeting his co-founder after he visited his friends who are doing PhDs in MIT and Harvard, and they connected him to what would be his co-founders for his startup. And then it turned out that his career background with an eatery startup with previous roles at KPMG in transportation and logistics would actually be a great match for Uber Eats, which is a food delivery company. So that's, that was a very fascinating story and I really do hope that you guys get a lot of benefit out of his journey as an auditor all the way through navigating to different realms and finally going into his role in the tech world. All right, thanks Ian for joining me for this podcast interview. So everyone, we're joined by Ian Wang. He is a market lead for Vancouver at Uber Eats and he's currently in the Toronto office. So Ian, you know, um, just to give Ian's background for those who don't know, um, he's, we go way back together in terms of we both went to the University of Waterloo, went to the accounting program there, uh, then we both started careers at KPMG and Audit. And one thing that I think it even further back together is that we both, I think, grew up in Vancouver prior to university. So you know, taking us kind of back there, uh, how would you describe your childhood? Did it begin in Vancouver?
1: Uh, no. Well, first of all, th- thanks for having me on this uh, podcast, Daniel. Um, I no, I was born in Beijing actually, and I moved to Vancouver when I was uh, very young, at the age of six. So I grew up in Vancouver. Um, Vancouver proper for elementary school, and uh, and Burnaby later for for high school. So yeah, most of my high, uh, childhood spent in um, British Columbia. It's a, uh, I thought it was, it, I mean, great great place to grow up. Uh, the west coast, best coast, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. In terms of childhood, I would I would say, um, um, you know, I grew up as a pretty like uh, uh, intellectually curious kid. Loved to uh, just explore, read, um, build things. I remember being super young and just collecting uh random materials like whether it's wood cardboard or whatever and just uh um you know finding time putting things together building you know cars or, or castles or something like that uh yeah yeah I'm just sort of a build builder from a from a young age
0: okay so given that um what what did you want to be when you were young you know, like when you go to school and stuff the teachers ask hey you know what what do you want to be and like you draw sketches of what you want to be right now what ideas did you have then
1: yeah honestly uh didn't didn't, uh, didn't have a good sense of what I wanted to be. I think um, in school mostly you sort of focused on the sciences, you know, mm. biology, chemistry, physics. Took them all. Um, I found physics super super interesting. I remember going to like physics Olympics and uh, you know, having a blast there. Really, we, we built a built a submarine that could submerge the water, uh, pick up things from the bottom of the uh, bo- from the bottom surface and then bring it back up top. Mm. So I had a lot of fun in those fields. And um, I mean in terms of career. Uh, into like accounting and finance, that was really later on, um, like grade eleven, grade twelve, where it made that decision.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, given that kind of past, like if, if you know, when I look at your uh, LinkedIn profile, for example, it's the profile kind of goes, you do an audit, after audit you did some financial advisors, so we got that accounting finance mix, and then you know, there's like a bit of a switch there. Where right now I see that you started a food startup company, and mm-hmm. then now you're at Uber. Yeah. Um, so, like, how how did that kind of transition happen for you? For like, you know, you were this kid that loved building and stuff. Why go into accounting?
1: Uh, yeah. So honestly, it was a it was a case competition. I think I did in grade eleven or twelve. I can't remember which year. Um, we did a, a the, the CMA. Uh, came to our high school and said, hey, we're we're holding a case competition, oh. um, would, would anyone like to join? So oh. myself and uh, a couple of my friends, so we, yeah, we decided to join. The question was, um, oh shoot, I can't remember exactly what the question was, but it was around Facebook. Yeah. And, oh, you know what, what it was? Uh, I think the question was, should Facebook go through an IPO? And this is pre-Facebook IPO, right? Um, th- and and uh the CMA pillars at that time was strategy management and accounting right so uh so we really bought into that and and we 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 went to the case competition I think we we won first or second place something Mm, like that mm. and we thought man this is really cool yeah right like uh, uh, presenting on whether Facebook should go through an IPO or not Uh um and that really yeah changed changed our sort of like my mindset from like sciences to business I thought this is a really cool field, and, and the topics that we discuss here is really really interesting, right? Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's basically how I chose my university uh, major.
0: Oh, okay, yeah. all right. So, so I'm not sure if that good. really
1: materializes in a C, what a CMA actually does, but uh, that's definitely at least what the case competition showcased.
0: Yeah, I think, and you know, I think now um, so for, so for some of the listeners that wouldn't know, the CMA is one of the accounting designation bodies, but they don't exist anymore. I guess right. we've all kind of merged into the whole CPA body now there's like the legacy for that remain okay so you know you, you had this ideal thought and definitely i think from our audit days i can attest that we rarely do strategy overviews on right. potential IPOs. Yeah, exactly okay so you now you you go to audit you spend all your co-op terms there and i think you stayed until like you were a senior um and then you made the switch so take me through that process Like, what, what was that stuff like why did you go into infrastructure was that Tying back to like the building roots now, where you wanted to go back to building things? <laughs>
1: uh, I wish. I don't, I don't think it was that uh, that structure in terms of thinking. But uh, I, I think, yeah, a few years in audit, uh, I left as a senior. I, while during, during sort of my auditing days, I was in the financial institutions group. Uh, so, focus on like sort of banks, funds, uh, stock changes, and things like that. Um, I thought that uh, that whole sort of um, background gave, gave me a lot of good understanding of, you know, how just how how businesses work, right, mm. um, studying accounting, the, the language of, of business, right, getting a mm-hmm. really strong fundamental understanding of that. Um, and being a senior there had sort of given me the opportunity to lead teams as well, right, because for these bank teams, are fairly, fairly large, mm-hmm. um, so sort of pe- people management skills there. Um, after a few years of that, I really wanted to, you know, like move away from. I, I knew I didn't want to be a partner at an accounting firm, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, if we stayed in audit, that's sort of the path that you're you're, you're pursuing, right? Yep. So um, I wanted to move, uh, branch out a little bit, and I think the path of least resistance at that time, in terms of h- how do we move closer to the consulting or or, or finance world, is uh, to transfer within the firm to a financial advisory practice, right? Mm. Um, and and in this case, it was sort of infrastructure advisory. Um, the, I, well, well, one of the, one of the reasons we, we went over there was we had a, well, I, I had a uh, senior from my previous group that went over there, and uh, he sort of, I guess, sent me, recruited me uh, mm. to, to the team, um, and then sitting down with all the team members and chatting about what the group actually does, I thought, this is, hey, this is really, really cool stuff, right, and we're mm-hmm. dealing with very, very tangible Assets here mm-hmm, compared to mm-hmm. the, finance, uh, the the banking world where we uh, we dealt with in very intangible things, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that this would be a great place to sort of develop some core core skill sets, right? Modeling hardcore core modeling, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, not sort of just simple simple modeling, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was like sort of a, a sort of invaluable skill moving forward. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think when back in my consulting days, I was doing um, uh, greenfield modeling, where you know greenfield practically like, I'm sure you're familiar with Ian, was just nothing's there. Now the client wants to install solar panels. And so yeah. now it have been like, I remember the modeling got so nitty gritty where we'd go down to modeling out um, wind speed for wind turbines, solar radiation for throughout the day, yeah. timing it, and trying to forecast how much sun rays we're gonna get to f- run these solar yeah. panels. Yeah,
1: 100%. It's, it's combining the real world uh, to the to the finance world, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: And so from there, I, I think um, some of my friends who've done infrastructure side, they end up from that advisory role is kind of like you're an like investment banker mm-hmm. and moving towards kind of, all right, let's go be like a buy side firm now going to private equity. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to straight up buy out these highways and solar panels. Um, did you think about that? uh
1: no no so we weren't in the so i i personally uh wasn't in, in the investment side of the the team mm. i was more on the um i guess what we would call the development side of the team okay which is essentially looking at okay um, a country somewhere and the, the the caribbean wants to build a new hospital mm-hmm. right um cool let's let's look at that right like mm. let's let's do the master planning for that does that make sense? right? Mm-hmm. How big should this hospital be? Where should it be located? Mm. Um, how much is it going to cost? How long is it going to take? Mm. Um, what uh, what sort of investors uh, investors should we, what would we need, right? Equity investors, uh, debt investors, uh, what would the payback period be? What would the, the rate of return be for these individuals, right? right. Um, that sort of whole planning process oh, was, is what okay. I focused on.
0: Oh, okay. Was that a choice that you made? Um, it, Stumbled
1: into it, I think. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I grouped it both. Uh, yeah. This is sort of where I started. Yeah. And uh, I really enjoyed my time there, so I so stayed in that practice.
0: Okay. Yeah. And after that, now we have something I think back when you told me about it, I was very surprised by it. But at the same time, I think it was really cool to hear where you said, all right, now I'm going to leave and I'm going to start a food startup mm-hmm. company. And mm-hmm. the company was called Chop Chop. I remember I, was, I definitely was participating in the beta when you launched it. Right. And... For some of the people that don't know, how would you explain uh, the business?
1: Right, um, man. I haven't had to explain it for a long time. So um, <laughs> probably not since your interview days. right? Yeah, exactly. So I mean, so it, um, I think back then I called we called it uh, dynamic pricing for oh, okay. for for restaurants. Okay. Right, where the concept is really trying to get um, get restaurant to employ it will deploy dynamic pricing to try to draw traffic during. Mm. Uh, Off peak hours, mm-hmm. right? So this is like pre lunch yeah. or after lunch, mm-hmm. pre dinner, right? These are hours, you know. Like I mean, in in many sort of Western uh, parts of the world, we have the concept called happy hour, right? Mm-hmm. In Canada, it's not as sort of big as in the states, where mm-hmm. uh, where where they have a lot more prevalent happy hours. Mm-hmm. Um, we were, well, yeah, we were essentially trying to just generate more traffic for for restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. And using our app and technology to be able to to help. Uh, eaters uh, find where these locations are and to really take advantage of some of these price price cuts mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that and you know, I think I I really appreciated that app because for me um, I I eat at least like six times a day. I'll mm-hmm. typically have two lunches and so yeah Definitely hitting the happy happy hour times finding what was real that was actually, I found it really helpful So yeah. I think uh, when I saw that disappear it was a bit of a shame um, but before you know when you were you know, taking me back to when you were actually at KPMG, you were still in infrastructure, um, how did this start? Like how did this idea begin? Like, and what was the beginning process like to create this application?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think the, the, pro- the process um, and the need for it really came from like a personal need and, and from a need from um, just um, many of my colleagues. Right. Uh, I remember back in KPMG at lunch, I mean, at eleven fifty-five or at noon, we would all say, Hey, what do you want to eat today? Mm. I don't know. What do you want to eat today? Right. Mm. Like, I mean, we, we, we've, we've tried everything in the food courts already and there's really <laughs> wasn't much sort of differentiation that like there was no really huge value prop to drive us one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Um, so I mean, in, in our heads, like, okay, if we knew that, let's say this, uh, restaurant had like a promo on Tuesday, we would probably go there. Right. Mm. And if this other restaurant had a Wednesday promo we'd probably go there. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I mean, if you think about it, like tuny Tuesdays work right like right. Finally, that's why they, they they drive a lot of traffic through tuny Tuesdays right yeah. promotions and, and price is a huge value proposition and and really sort of drives consumer behavior so um we thought, okay cool, what if we well like right now we don't know where all these like like uh um, promos are right where these levers are being pulled, so what if we could sort of um, really rid of that information and symmetry Mm -hmm. and give that information to to the sort of masses right Mm -hmm. Um, so that we can actually drive traffic left or right Mm -hmm. um, during that critical time of sort of what do I want to eat and where do I want to eat decision-making
0: right and so you know you you're an accountant and I'm an accountant so I don't have any coding background from what I know you're you're not a coder either Mm -hmm. so how how did you actually create the product Um, getting it from you know first the idea not your actual inception um did you hire people outside or
1: yeah so um so no so i uh, know we didn't hire it well i mean sorry yeah, we, we we brought on like co-founder i brought on, brought on co-founders right? oh, Okay. Um, crazy story how we found these individuals one is um uh, uh so i i was i was out in boston uh visiting a friend yeah oh, a couple, couple of friends actually uh um, they're finishing up their PhDs. Well, they're twins, identical twins. Uh, one had a PhD at uh, uh, MIT. The other one's finishing up his PhD at uh, uh, Harvard. Of course. Yeah, of course, right? <laughs> um, so the crazy story is actually how I decided to go visit them. I was at the, um, the Pan Am Games uh, okay. here in Toronto, right? right? yeah. And there's a, there's a board, like a, like a porter uh, airplane board, right? Right. You, st- they, you throw a dart at the board, uh-huh. and if you hit one of the cities, um, your you, your your name is put into sort of a draw, right? Yeah. Obviously, not that many people have hit the city, so I yeah. hit it, and then uh, yeah, and then I, d- I drew a free pair of uh, tickets to anywhere that Porter flew. Oh. So, and then I mean, Porter doesn't fl- fly uh, to that many places, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was looking at the map. Okay, cool. Where haven't I been before? Uh, haven't been for a while, and like, where I have friends to go visit, right? So Boston was one of those places. So oh, I said, okay. hey, come for over for a weekend, right? So I met, mm. so I met up with them, uh, caught up with them, and. Uh, telling them about this idea at that time and they said oh uh, cool we have a uh, uh, like a undergrad friend who's at microsoft and he i think just left microsoft like he wants to do something he's not really sure and he just kind of um hanging out right now right hmm. i think he let's let's connect it to you guys and, and start chatting so so we were, we got connected and yeah he was super pumped about this idea and hmm. uh, at that time he was in vancouver and he flew over to uh Uh, Toronto um, for for like six months, like got rent for six months and uh, we just started building this thing. Um, And one of our other co-founders, I was in this program called Founders Institute, uh, which is sort of a mini, um, like accelerator for for, for startups, and uh, during that time, one of our other co-founders was working on a different startup, like a legal startup, Um, but he heard about my idea and he really, really wanted to join, uh, participate in this one, so the three of us became sort of the first, uh, the co-founders.
0: Oh, Trump, Trump. okay. And so, um, you know, you you have your, you know, tech personnel. You, you have your other co-founder. And did you guys all apply to become part of the accelerator together with just the idea, or uh, how, how was that process? like? Yeah, yeah.
1: So um, I actually applied for uh, myself uh, through. That program, oh. and then Al, our other co-founder, also did it uh, through his startup. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so we, we we joined together, but uh, midway he wanted to switch over and wanted to hop on board.
0: Oh Okay. And did you need to present a kind of MVP for it, or how did that work? Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, I application process. Yeah, you needed to like describe all, like what you were working on and stuff. I, oh, okay. you, I think you had to at least have a couple ideas. Before I I believe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and then it's like a twelve week program I believe and every single week you work on a different sort of uh, aspect of the of the startup let's say uh, 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 building the MVP right market validation Mm -hmm. marketing investing all that sort of stuff like you I mean they just focus on it it doesn't mean you need to like focus on like well yeah you need to work on it during that uh, week as well but Mm -hmm. obviously you don't need to finish it or anything like that right right and after that that pro that that um, whole process, uh, there's checkpoints in in the middle where they would go through, I I can't remember what they're called, but they would sort of review your project and review your presentation and pitch. And um, if you didn't pass for some reason, um, we were graded on various different sort of metrics. And if you didn't pass, then you would be asked to leave the program. Um, And by like the end of the whole process, I think month 12 or so, Yeah, you graduate and uh, you be part of this cohort, and uh, and uh, it's branded and everything, and you're part of this sort of community now. And there's a lot of help and support from people and graduates and the uh, and the leaders of this program.
0: Mm. And so then, were you doing this um, while you were working? Like you're doing it part time? Uh, I know.
1: So that I I was I was done already. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. left KPMG. Yeah, Yeah, yeah.
0: And so then. How did you have the conviction to make that leap, where you know, you're like, you know what, I'm gonna take that leap of faith and go into an accelerator program, Yeah. get my team going?
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, at that point, I was just thinking about, um, like, you know, like, I, I knew I wanted to sort of get into tech, I wanted to build things. I wanted to, to build a business uh, for my own. And I knew that, like, you know, if you stayed at the firm, mm-hmm. um, most of your hours during the day is working on like, you know, work, right? Like mm. real professional services work, consulting mm. advisory work. And cool, you can, you, you, you might think that you have time to work at night um, on your side project or your, your startup or something like that. Sure, you might have a little bit of time, but like realistically, by the time you get home, you're very tired. You kind of want to eat and rest up, right? And the, it, and I, like after, A while of this, and I realized it is not possible, right? If I really want to do something, I got to dive all in and Mm -hmm. really, really work on it. And in terms of the the risk, sort of the um, the decision for to jumping into it, like uh, if you if you think about sort of my professional background at that time, right? I had a couple years in audit, Mm -hmm. um, left a senior, a couple years in advisory. I was a manager at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had left the firm, went to pursue my own project, passion project, startup, whatever it may be, if it really failed and I needed a job, uh, uh, <laughs> right? If I needed to, to put food on the table and needed a job, I, I could have probably came back,
0: mm-hmm. right?
1: Uh, into my original position, mm-hmm. right? Uh, or I could have gone to another firm, get a very similar uh, position at like, uh, at any of other big four consulting firm or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's very like, um, the services we offer are very similar, mm-hmm, right, across mm-hmm. all the firms. So, um, so the only downside of that time was actually just the loss in revenue, or sorry, loss in income, right? Mm-hmm. It, whatever that, whether it's six months, a year, or whatever it is, right. That is the only downside of that equation. Yeah. Right. The upside is, well, I mean, I, I validated, I evaluated the upside as huge at that time, right? Maybe <laughs> a, a lot of, a lot of sort of. Uh, not a lot of confidence in our own um, startup obviously but uh, I mean it failed so <laughs> it didn't materialize but like you know at that point you, uh, you evaluate the business as uh, really really strong and that's what you needed to sell right and you had mm-hmm. to believe it and embody it right mm-hmm. when you pitched to investors and, and people like that um, the upside was huge and also even if it failed the upside was huge in terms of personal growth and personal learning right mm-hmm. um, this is a time in my life where I could afford to invest time mm-hmm. uh, and money into that right and um, before you yeah, have a formal of family kids and things like that mm-hmm. um, which uh, at that time you have a lot more responsibilities right mm-hmm. where you need to make sure you bring income <laughs> and, and and put food on the table yeah. right now I didn't really have that responsibility and um, in terms of evaluating the risk profile at that point it was a lot lower than fast forward let's say another three years or something like that right
0: right yeah, yeah no, I, I I definitely agree with you 100 uh, percent in terms of like even when mm-hmm. I left audit to go into consulting, I remember I catch up with my audit mentors, and mm-hmm. you know, they casually just throw out, you know, if, if consulting is boring, you can always come back. Yeah. We, we always need more people, yeah. and yeah, I think that was definitely a theme that uh, is constantly reoccurring in our kind of profession. Um, and yeah, I think the kind of yeah, and some people say like, oh, it's really risky to leave this kind of job and start a startup, but the way you put it, it yeah, I think it's more you have some downside but it's never permanent like risk is you mm-hmm. can't i think overcome it. like there's a permanency to it but it's more yeah i know you lose some income over like six months or a year but mm-hmm. you have such a higher upside where it's kind of like you know heads you win, tails you don't really lose too much
1: yeah yeah right yeah exactly i think that's a good way to look at it um and the thing is that you had to look at your career from a um what let's say what 40 years For, 40 years i think it's appropriate sort of a span uh, to look at um losing six months within that 40 years is is nothing right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. no and no, the upside no. of that investment that six month investment half a year is, could potentially be massive
0: mm-hmm. yeah and so you know you, you talked about how you had a lot of conviction for your startup and yep. you had all these high hopes for it so yeah. how did the uh what was, what was like your idea like monetization like did you hit sales what was your goal to kind of hit sales like within like six months or how was that whole kind of uh, process like for you
1: yeah so um i, I think in, initially it was really just. Uh, uh, validation from eaters that we really needed, right? Uh. From customers, um, restaurants. Yeah, we, we 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 went door by door talking to restaurants, and restaurants are all very sold uh, on our on our sort of idea and the monetization uh, sort of the, the structure that we were trying to sell at. Mm-hmm. All the restaurants were, were pretty eager about that. They didn't mm. really have a problem. Really? Um, it was really the eaters, right? At the end of the day, if you think of the product, who is the main user of the product and it's, it's the eaters and the customers, mm-hmm. um, They, we really needed to see traction from their end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before we're able to do anything, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's really where we thought we had uh, found something that people wanted, but once you sort of test it with, uh, and, so, and, and we ran focus groups and all that sort of stuff and, and everyone said, yeah, we want this, we want this. But like, if I were to do this again, mm. I think you'd really just start with real world people who you don't know and build the product and just see if they use it or not, right? Um, because people all like the idea of like, getting promos and just and things like that. But sometimes, or in ma- many cases, convenience uh, was just like the, the strongest factor, right? Mm. And you might think like, okay, cool, I wanna get 50% off something. But that's slightly farther away from what's just downstairs. I'm just going to do the downstairs approach, mm. right? Um, yeah, we just we just found that like through different use cases, right? Once you put it on the test market, you actually see how the marketplace reacts to this to this new tool, mm-hmm. um, and it, the the. Value proposition just wasn't strong enough. I think where we found some traction was with students mm-hmm. in the and community, where students kind of uh, use it a bit more, they're more price sensitive, right? right. But in the financial district, uh, less so, right? I think um, we had a lot of like drink offers and stuff on, the, on our platform as well. Yeah. Uh, we thought, okay, you know, people go for drinks after work, right? They want to find where the happy hours are. Um, it turns out like, and, and we should have known this, like, I mean, I, I worked for these companies, uh, the firms sort of sponsor a lot of these uh, happy hours and, and uh, team drinks and things like that, right? right. Um, they don't really care about where like where, where the discounts are and things mm-hmm. like that. So they just sort of go to the, whatever's the closest or whatever the, the, the atmosphere is best or, or what they're most... Uh, and people, are like humans, are, are creatures of habit as well, right? Mm-hmm. They like to go to their regular water holes, right? Yeah. Even if it's just at full price. So um, once you put it out in the market, you can actually see the use cases, and the use cases weren't that weren't that much Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where we really sort of struggled with finding that product market fit
0: Mm -hmm. and you know now you've been operating it for about nine months and there comes a point where you know i think a lot of people yeah there's like that some cost fallacy where do i continue on with this or do Mm -hmm. i kind of cut my losses short and move on what what was the determining factor when you you and your team decided hey guys it's just yeah it go.
1: Uh, i think yeah, yeah exactly i think sunk cost is like how you need to look at this right yeah cool the time you invested in it was time that's gone you can't get it back right yeah. um so i mean you, you shouldn't look at the time you invested there in terms of money you invested same thing you should look at a sunk cost um for us we didn't invest too much right because we had the skills and talent to actually build the, the app and the technology in-house mm. right uh, both al and glenn both good code. And they they were the sort of architects of the of the product, and yeah, we didn't had to spend so much money on, on external like engineering firms or um, or app developing agencies and things like that. So the cost was really just our time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we, in terms of the decision to cut your losses, is really to look okay, at okay, like at that point, what do you believe is the future value of of this, right? Mm-hmm. What is the future expected value? Um, and you could sort of reevaluate that every month by month, right? Some month, it, your expectation, the probability sort of increases because you see traction. Mm-hmm. Some some months you sort of see the probability decrease because a loss of traction. For example, let's say retention is not great, yeah. churn is high, right? Yeah. So there's always always this dial, right? And you just gotta keep on sort of having a pulse on this dial. And where the probability dial goes really really low, um, yeah, then I mean like, what, like reevaluate like. If you, if you knew this at the time and when you started, would you have gone all in, mm. right? And if no, then you should be at the same position, right? Because there's infinite problems that you can pursue and like interesting challenges and, and new startups ideas out there, right? Uh, if this compared to your next best alternative is, is not, uh, uh, li- like as, as the, the, the value, the probability of success and the expected value of like the, the 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 expected value of success is lower than your next best alternative. Then mm-hmm. I think that uh, you can try and uh, think about like doing something else. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And so then, did you have that ahead of time set where you kind of had a benchmark where you know if if retention rates hit at least this amount for like a prolonged period of time, I think we're done.
1: Or uh, no, we we didn't have that set because I mean going into it, we don't know what the market retention rate is supposed to be. Right, like mm-hmm. what is the retention rate? or the churn and the churn rate of a product like this we didn't know that right Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of just gotta do it and then see what the rates are and Mm -hmm. then do you believe like because with churn rates and retention rates you can kind of quickly see right if you're you're getting 10 people and you're losing 8 of them the next month you only got 2 in the long run right Mm -hmm. and it's 2 in the long run like especially and you you look at frequency of transaction um, revenue per transaction and project it out Man, like this is not gonna be a big business in the future. Mm-hmm. Then, like, why bother, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if if you, if your churn there's only one person out of ten, then you got nine people, and you do the math. Does it make more sense if it makes sense to keep going? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, now you're kind of at the point where
0: uh, you're at the fork in the road. Where okay, I have to decide what what are the opportunities you're gonna weigh yourself weigh these options against as like the opportunity cost. Um,
1: what was going on in your mind at that point? Yeah. Um. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, so so what? You know, so it's looking at other opportunities, right? Yeah. Um. At that point, you know, explore lots of different potential jobs or um, school or like MBA and things like that, right? Uh uh-huh. um, And I mean, it's sort of a blanket approach, right? You kind of like, uh, let's let's test all of them, right? Like. Apply to different things, right, and then you see you see what what comes back, mm-hmm. and then what type of offers you have, and then you can value your your next best option, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then you know now you're at
0: Uber Eats, and you know, there's definitely that tie with Uber Eats and what you're doing at Chop Chop, with they're both in the food industry. Yeah. Is, did you want to stay in the food industry? With the like, is that some big interest of yours? Um,
1: I think I, I think uh, Uber is really where where I want to be. Um, um, you know, massive growth story here, right? Um, mm-hmm. Uh, big tech, like I, I really wanted to. Like from talking to people at Uber, I understood that it's a big company, but had a small company feel, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 the Toronto business sort of. Um, well, there was a Toronto office, first of all, right? Like a, like an office here that had a lot of people and uh, um, could really sort of have the autonomy to run the business. So, um, it, it one of one of my very close friends. I uh, spoke to her about. Uh, opportunity and she really sold me on it so I was really pumped about that. Mm. In terms of eats uh, specifically I think that uh, my background if you think about rewinding back a little bit it's infrastructure uh, advisory right did a Mm -hmm. lot of transportation related work as well Mm. in that field and then if you think about my experience working with restaurants in the food tech space right food tech plus sorry well yeah food tech plus uh, transportation that's pretty much like uber plus eats right mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, pretty natural fit yeah know, from that perspective
0: it's like a puzzle fitting right there like yeah it's as if you planned it all out yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> it's, and so you know like now you know now you're at uber eats and, you know, before you were an operations logistics manager and now you're the market beat for vancouver so congrats on that promotion um, uh no i'm
1: still still an operations manager just like okay. sort of different focus
0: yeah okay so um in terms of then like what you do on a day-to-day basis, like if if you were to take me through what what the life is like in big tech, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. can you walk me through your day yesterday? Like, take me through, like you know, the time you woke up, mm-hmm. the time you mm-hmm. got to the office, and you know, you you don't have to share as the details that yeah. are not allowed to be shared, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Yeah, just take me through what what is like the full day from the time you woke up to the time you go to bed
1: of what it's like to be yeah. an ops manager. I mean, uh, the the waking up and the going to bed part is, is pretty normal <laughs> with any company, I think. I think. Uh, you know, standard working hours, right, like uh, uh, once you get out of the office I think it's just checking emails, checking some dashes and metrics to make sure that, you know, business is is doing okay. Uh, tons of meetings, uh, always a lot of meetings, there's there's different projects that we're working on to move the business forward, so um, yeah, like syncing with different sort of um, internal business partners, like external stakeholders on various projects that we're working on. It's a very, like, uh, um, very collaborative process and and a team that we have here so we love jamming on on projects and talking about strategy and building execution plans together which is which is great Um, I think that uh, uh, that sort of brings the best out out of all of us sort of healthy debates and really really coming with the best solution moving forward Um, you know mornings meetings and then lunch lunch is great we have uh, we have catered lunches here uh, and so uh, that's true about Big Tech you know we have the snacks and the, the lunch uh, at the ping pong table right <laughs> uh, that's definitely part of it. I didn't play ping pong yesterday. Uh, that was that was not part of the day uh and in the afternoon you know again just 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 more more meetings more more sync ups and uh, um, uh sort of uh we we have uh, we have a couple of interns uh with us this summer so um sessions with them mentoring coaching um, and in the Afternoon, we actually had a uh, team social uh, where where the whole office we went into a Jays game, uh, which is uh, oh which is a lot wow, of fun. Yeah. nice.
0: Mm-hmm. And so then you know um, when back in my buy side days, when we look at companies, we like to look at the segment. Like for example, if um, Coca Cola has multiple revenue income segments for their business, right? Like they'll earn X amount on beverages, X amount on um, like tea, for example. Mm-hmm. If we put that segmentization to your job. Mm-hmm and use like the percentage of time you would allocate right. to different
1: activities how would you segmentize it um i, I would say like if you just look at like sort of categories of what i do i think um mm-hmm. probably pretty evenly sort of third or third or third across the spectrum of um like planning strategy planning that kind of work mm-hmm. right um a third being sort of execute executing mm-hmm. right sending the emails building the, the models and dashes and things like that mm-hmm. um and then a the third being sort of inbound stuff right there's uh, our business is live right we have people partners we have uh um, restaurants and eaters out in the marketplace right mm-hmm. um it's a live marketplace so we need to deal with inbounds as they come in right mm-hmm. so um you don't know any given day there's sort of uh Uh, tons of potential things that sort of come in and we've got to deal with. So a third, a third, a third across the spectrum, That was it. Okay.
0: And, you know, you talked about how, for example, yesterday you had a lot of different meetings and so are, even when you split these things out to a third, a third, a third, like strategy and planning, for example, is that all mostly in meeting sessions where you are generally most of the time in a group setting and you're working things out together or are you kind of sitting down by yourself and figuring things out one presentation and then go back to the thing by yourself? Yeah, Yeah, it's
1: usually in a, Group environment. Okay. Um, we just have so many uh, internal and external stakeholders, mm. right? We want to make sure that all the right voices are at the table mm. to make sure that we have all the bases covered. Mm. All the uh, considerations are um, sort of at the table, and that we can well consider them and, and deal with them and address them as mm. appropriate, um, because we wanna we don't want to make uh, we don't want to solve problems in silos, right? Because uh, there's a lot of potential for holes that way. Mm-hmm.
0: And then when you're at at these kind of meetings, then, um, how does the decision making process work?
1: Is it full democracy or? Uh, no, I mean there's 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 different ways, right? Like I mean, right. there there's uh, um, I, I don't think it's I don't, I don't think democracy is the right way uh, to put it. Like people are there to put their input into problems, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to voice their inputs, and we have healthy debates. But I don't. Uh, it's not, there's no voting process, right? It's It's just very, like, um, there's project owners, right? And mm-hmm. uh, we just make sure that we're gonna balance everybody's uh, thoughts and considerations and come up with a decision
0: after that. Okay, and you know, let's so say you have your strategy session, and then um, you guys decide to take one approach in a project together. Um, then do you split up the duties and you go back and now you personally execute on them? Or would you delegate it out to some other people? Yeah, a
1: combination of both. I think I own a lot of the execution pieces of it. Okay. And there's definitely other people on the project team that, uh, that, uh, that uh, we have sort of delegated duties, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I
0: think you know, when we think back to, for example, our big four days, mm-hmm. the term when people say, oh, you're a manager, they generally have seniors and staffs and a bunch of people that they'll delegate stuff off to. Right. For you, for you here like you know you have the title of manager would you say that you end up
1: actually doing a lot of the work itself Oh, 100 percent I think that uh, here first of all like um, our all our teams um, across whatever level uh, your, your title has right um, everyone lean uh, sort of really leans in and pitches in to help us move the business forward um, there's it's, we have a very flat hierarchy system here. Um, Across, again, across all levels, people really put in the effort to execute a project as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so then if, um, if you were to give me a rating of the amount of autonomy you feel that you have over what you do, how you schedule your day, for example, um, in the rating scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a results-only work environment where the entire team is remote, doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you are, you have to focus on the results. Mm-hmm. 1 being good old like investment banking, gotta sit there until 4 p.m when your work actually begins and, right. and start working then right where would you rank um your autonomy and you can't pick seven
1: yeah so sort of which, which one is what 10 is
0: what the so 10 is complete uh, autonomy yeah autonomy, and um, like yeah and i down. think
1: uh in my current capacity i mean this obviously differs across like your role and your responsibilities right. uh in my current capacity i would say i would be at like a nine nine point five hmm.
0: yeah nice and you know so far um as you've worked here for uh, I think close past, just past a year now, yeah, right? Yeah, just past a year, yeah. Yeah, congrats on that. Um, but yeah, like given what you've learned in the whole kind of eats industry as you go by, um, what are some things that you noticed while you're working here that you never noticed from like the outside, even when you're like a customer, um, right. even when you were at ChopChop, like was something where you like, well, I didn't know
1: this was a big issue in the industry, like this kind of inefficiency existed. Right. Um, Um, I I don't think it's like inefficiencies. I think it's just observations like I mean I think any company right uh, for that matter like uh, what you see it from inside or you see it from outside is very different right Mm -hmm. Uh, for for Uber Uber Eats particularly I think that look you have to remember that we're like we have a like a real marketplace out in the world right Mm. Um, we we connect people Mm -hmm. right Um, and these individuals are in the real world uh, and there's real life transactions and interactions happening mm-hmm. right so it, there's tons of things that can just pop up and occur through mm. these interactions right unlike some other big tech companies if you think about it like say uh, let's say Google right uh, when you do a search you do a Google search cool like that's between you and the computer and the servers right, right? right it's like a that that's sort of the extent of the interaction right and then yeah. well, obviously you can click through images and maps and stuff like that right but like you that's kind of like the the interface and the environment you're dealing with right right um from facebook perspective right again like big tech right uh, you can connect you can talk to people right there's all within this like platform right and there's no like actual people physically engaging or interacting with people you mean like in the real life right uh, like physically beside each other right right? yeah so uh, like sure on Facebook Messenger I can message you Um, we're interacting but we're not beside each other right versus in the Uber and Uber Eats world right there's people um, moving around in the physical space right Mm -hmm. and there's tons of uh, the sort of things that can pop up, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, very, very interesting problems that we well, that we have a team here to sort of tackle and solve, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's sort of one of the big dif- biggest difference, right? You got to make sure, cool, we're using an app, but like there's actually physical people interacting with each other.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like when we were having a phone, phone chat one time, I think we might have met in person, but you were telling me about how we had like a snowstorm in Toronto and you know, given we're in Canada, that's going to be quite frequent, and mm-hmm. you're saying how um, no like you had to be like all hands on deck for that because yeah we had impacting yeah. delivery
1: routes and stuff and i just never thought about that yeah, um yeah i think yeah that's a key example right like i mean when snow falls on the ground right yeah that impacts the real physical world and then we have again partners out in the real world uh engaging sort of with our business right like those are things that we need to sort of tackle and deal with right so mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm.
0: And so, how how would you tackle it? Like if you were to run through the, that kind of example? How would I work? How would you tackle that kind of problem? Do you guys all kind of start calling individual partners or telling people what to do? Do you send out like a news announcement? Like what right, goes right. on?
1: I mean, so there's definitely tons of different type of levers uh, that we uh, that we can pull and different uh, um, sort of um, strategies and methods that we we, we can engage with. Uh, um, the specifics I'll leave out of the the, the conversation here. Right. But uh, yeah, like there's, I mean, at the end of the day, if you think about what the problem is, the demand and supply problems, right? Mm-hmm. So, how, how do we sort of uh, pull levers to make sure demand and supply are balanced and mm-hmm. to bring that back to equilibrium, where in the real world, it's sort of an acceptable sort of level of equilibrium, right? Mm-hmm. Because again, this, these are all things that impact people in the real world, so prices and, and, and physical. Uh, physical proximity speed all of these things are sort of impacted as soon as snow falls so we would need to sort of rebalance that
0: okay and for you then um, is that a lot of just communicating with vendors and um, things like that or is it yeah like that's definitely that,
1: yeah t- t- tons of stuff we can do there uh, I mean we are 3 of marketplace right so we would have we we um, Eaters are our customers. Our, our driver partners, our delivery partners, are our customers, and uh, mm-hmm. and restaurant partners are also our customers. Right, so mm-hmm. we need to um, interact with all three sides to make sure we can get something to work.
0: Mm. Okay, and so now you know, I'm I'm a customer of Uber Eats. Like I use I use use, use uh, you guys quite frequently, but um, I find sometimes when I use, use Uber Eats, drivers will deliver the food, mm-hmm. and so they can't park at my location, so they can't deliver it up to my place.
1: Is that something you guys are working on to uh, work on as a problem yeah I mean yes yeah, so so uh, uh, parking is definitely uh, sort of uh, a re- again real-world problem yeah. right uh, people people try to uh, find parking uh, as needed with uh, with different traffic laws different traffic rules across all the markets around the world right, right? like you, you have to think that we have so many different variations of rules and 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 sort of like the size of cars, right? Some of the markets we have, uh, like motorbikes, right? right. Um, some places we have bicycles, right? So right. bicycles parking is not, is not that big of a deal, right? right? Not that big of a challenge, right? So yeah, we're working across all of those uh, platforms to make sure that we can get our eaters the, the best experience as possible.
0: Yeah. All right, okay, I'll, I'll hope for uh, more updates on that, that yeah. and having more potentially bicycle people to deliver my stuff. Um, but yeah, and so then, you know, given you've taken, I would say, quite quite a unique kind of career path. Mm-hmm. You started out an audit, and the typical path is someone just becomes like a controller mm-hmm. and stays there until they yep. die. Um, but you've traversed and found somewhere that, you know, you've definitely found yourself to be, like, enjoying. And, but I think it goes without saying that there are times when shit gets real, shit gets really scary. Mm-hmm. And for you, what has been the moment where it, was, it just seems super challenging and made you kind of doubt the kind of decisions you might have made um and you just kind of you know scared shit
1: um right so i mean uh i mean if you work in a like a corporate environment and like even 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 within the company i work in now like i mean i don't think things really uh get you out of control like i think things are pretty 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 okay i i think it's really when you work in your own startup so when i worked uh when I, when I worked as Chop Chop, right, I think mm-hmm. that's really where um, uh, it can be pretty stressful, right? Because you're running mm-hmm. your own business with three partners. Uh, no one's earning an income or salary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's when there's a lot more stress and pressure, right? So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, sorry, your question was how we, how do we deal with this? Or, or like just kind of
0: um, a specific moment that you had that you remember as being like, yeah, like, that was a time
1: when... Right. It's extremely challenging, and you just. I I think I think yeah, th- th- things are challenging, but I don't think I was ever like freaking out about anything. Like, yeah. um, you go into these things with expectations of the outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Like you calculate the expected value of the outcome, low probability, high potential monetary value or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, cool, but you go in knowing that the probability of success is super super low, mm-hmm. right? If you are properly primed and properly. Is set your own expectations then i don't think uh like it's a surprise six months later if the business isn't uh, working out that well right mm-hmm. like you, i mean you try to do everything in your capacity and 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 power to try to make a success right follow the playbook you build all these things right you read a lot you talk to a lot of industry players you a lot of market research you talk to a lot of customers and you work very very hard many hours in the day right but like that's sort of the the input that you gotta put in right but then afterwards like like what i'm saying is that you can't just blindly go in thinking oh this is i'm gonna kill it this is this is it this is this uh company is gonna um be like super super successful for sure right Mm -hmm. um so knowing the expectations going in i mean never really got that uh, crazy or never that serious. I think all of the co-founders were all very reasonable uh, people who went in with the same attitude and same mindset, but mm-hmm. we evaluated and re-evaluated at every checkpoint and milestone. Mm-hmm. So we're all like kind of abreast of what's happening in the situation and in and the, and the, and the business, right? So not no, no particularly, uh, oh my goodness, uh, this isn't the world sort of situations.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and I, and I think... Um Though I think sometimes I think the kind of approach that you have is not as common. Uh, I think a lot of people, there's definitely cases where people are in the extremes of this, this is going to work, just going to push harder at it, it's going to work, or it's just, it's is never going to work, I'm too afraid, I'm just not going to do anything. And so for you, like, is, there, is there something that you believe personally that you think kind of goes against what the conventional wisdom might believe? and it's kind of been helpful for you in terms of guiding what you chose to do and your decision making
1: right um, against conventional wisdom I think uh, it's just more I, I mean it, yeah I, I think like for example if, if you think about like people's career pathing and things like that right you, you go into sort of your you go to university you study a field you go into uh, that you try, you try to get a job in that undergrad field right or, or master's year or whatever mm-hmm. um, you know build some competencies and proficiencies there um, and then within our like you know like within this generation I think people sort of look at two or three years as sort of a t- timeline that to get uh, to get experience here and then jump to the next role and the next role right um, preferably up I guess right mm. um, and you try to stick with these sort of safe environments that you know then, like you can just sort of climb the corporate ladder right mm. I feel like if that is what convention is I, I feel that uh, that might not be the best approach right i think within that especially earlier on the lifestyle i think we talked about this earlier in this session is that like it takes some risks right like um you're you're young you can probably afford like half a year off doing something pretty crazy right mm-hmm. um the result of that something crazy could be uh pretty really good in terms of like financial success or it can just be super valuable from a self-growth learning Right, like mm-hmm. I mean, some people you don't need to start a business to start a, to start a startup, right? Not not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but you can go do you know the whole travel thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to get just open, broaden your like sort of uh, horizon and lens and and um, just just be more um, just gain more knowledge and experience through different things, right? So like take take risks earlier on, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't need to just climb every two years climb a rung up the ladder, right? Mm-hmm. You can even you can even climb horizontally. I think that's another thing that people are scared of, right? They don't want to move horizontally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with horizontal because yeah, getting that breadth of experience and aggregating the skill set, it's all about experiences, right? Aggregating skill sets and experiences from a breadth of field. Um, once you sum all of that, like, I mean, in, in, um, in finance, you have, like, the sum of all parts, right? right. Sum all that together, you're, you're going to go way higher than uh, where someone could have just climbed slowly round by round right?
0: mm-hmm. and so for you uh, do you think your risk appetite has decreased than, you, than before yeah. given your current position or, or do you still think that you still have that kind of a high risk tolerance with you uh, uh,
1: yeah I think um, I I think the risk risk tolerance is still the same like yeah. I mean uh, maybe in a couple of years probably it might decrease right it, it, I think this a lot, a lot of it uh, comes with family situations right mm-hmm. uh, like I think having children in your life is, is uh uh, is it, sort of one of the biggest, biggest uh, uh, factors of that, right? So um, right now, I think the risk profile is still the same. Uh, but um, really, uh, it's more sort of like taking those risks within the company now, right? Mm-hmm. I'm really enjoying what I do here. And I think there's tons of opportunities here yeah, mm-hmm. to grow.
0: And, you know, if, if, um, if you were to think back and if you were to imagine your 20-year-old self, you know, like thinking... Young Ian, like, third-year university, Mm -hmm. if he were to see where you are at now, Mm -hmm. what do you think his reaction would be? Do you think it would be a surprise? Um, It's, like, completely different from what you'd expect it to be at your current age, or...?
1: Uh, Not really, honestly. I think it's probably pretty much exactly where... uh, Yeah, where where I I thought I would sort of end up. um, I think step one was professional services, right? Right. Uh, And it can be sort of, you know, like, accounting financial advisory consulting banking right something sort to, to develop structure and build those competencies right right I really need that structural thinking uh, that comes with like client service right um, and then from then on it's like yeah it's to, to build and grow a business right I think that's what I've always wanted to do mm-hmm. um, I mean yeah obviously there' no I would be at uber right per se but uh, some sort of company growing whether it's my own right. Or a smaller startup, medium-sized startup, large startup, or mm-hmm. even a corporate, um, like a mega corporate company. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think this is pretty much exactly where I thought i would be. Yeah.
0: You know? No, that's kind of a Nostradamus of your own
1: future. Well, I mean, it, it's just I. I mean, who 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 knows exactly? Like thinking now, that's what I thought. But like and back then, yeah, I, I I think I think it's very difficult to predict where where you want to be. But like you can definitely sort of. Uh, make conscious decisions like right like plan like five years out i know these days five years is a long time but plan five years out and kind of think about where you want to be and like make conscious efforts of like try to get yourself there
0: yeah no definitely and i think um even making that thought having that thought process of you know where you actually want to end up in like five or ten years actually help inherently helps you make certain decisions that will guide you into that um area
1: yeah for sure and so
0: then um you know for you as like parting advice, if you were to give advice to 20-year-olds, could have been at the end of uh, third year or other 20-year-olds, what kind of Mm -hmm. advice would you give? uh,
1: Yeah, I think it's just, uh, you know, uh, finish the program, uh, start off somewhere where you can build some competencies, right? Mm. Um, I feel that uh, coming out of university, like we have the knowledge, but we don't have the practical experience, right? Mm. Uh, Starting at large companies really gives us the structure uh, and like like large companies have have, have uh, programs and processes in place to make sure that we do things uh, by the book, right, mm. and by the structure that they've set out, and that structure is super helpful, right? That's why they became big companies because um, they had a good process and structure of doing things, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, build your competencies there, and then just don't be afraid to take risks after that, right? Like know know your uh, be confident in what you can and can't do. Uh, take the most appropriate risks and those risks usually lead to something uh pre- pretty awesome all
0: right great yeah. thanks a lot and thanks a lot for your time and yeah. i really do hope uh the audience appreciates the wise words of wisdom that you shared with us today
1: yeah thanks thanks very much for having me daniel no problem
0: all right thank you for listening to the podcast i hope the story was inspiring to you it hopefully it also helped you expand your perspectives Hopefully it also made you question the default path that you might have been going on or the default beliefs you might have had. And maybe now it'll make you even think about doing something about it, doing something different maybe, challenging yourself, being courageous, who knows. But regardless, I'm really happy that you took some time out of your day to listen to this fantastic story with my guest. And if you would like to somehow, in some way, contribute and help support the podcast and maybe even just be part of the community that I'm trying to build with the greater OMD Ventures platform. Really think about being a stakeholder in the platform and the quick way to do that is to go to my website oldmandan.com and go to the stakeholders page. I believe it's oldmandan.com/stakeholder. And the link is also down below and that's how you can figure out how you can subscribe follow to get more updates on the free content but at the same time also donate and donate by actually just buying me a coffee that's just how i put it and you can buy me a coffee a month coffee a week or coffee every day of the year and think about it as the way that you know if you wanted to chat with me you might just bring me out for coffee and buy me a coffee or if you wanted to bring one of my guests out to chat you might buy them a coffee so i'm just think of it as i'm the service that's doing that for you so you can just pay me in coffees (laughs) don't worry uh, everything will still be free it's just it would just really help if you would like to show your support this way so that I can use the coffee money to buy myself actual coffees and also to buy my guests actual coffees at and use the leftover money to actually grow the platform as well as even keep it operationally alive as well because it all this isn't really free and it does take a lot of time to build it as well as operate it and hopefully grow it further so your support would be amazing if you would like to contribute and so yeah just check out the website go to the stakeholders page and read the different kind of benefits you might even get as a stakeholder all right thank you